So I am, I am honored to be here and to be part of this service this evening. Give your attention now to the reading of God's word, to the true and eternal and trustworthy word of God in Paul's first letter to Timothy and the fourth chapter beginning at the sixth verse. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on you for your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Holy Father, before us is your word. Not the words of men, but your holy and living word. Spiritual things that are only discerned by the work of your spirit in us. And so by the present power of your Holy Spirit, would you open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our minds to understand. And grant me your grace to pass on what is from you, and may your word find fertile soil and bear fruit for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. So our purpose here this evening is to witness and formalize the call and ordination of Brian Bunn and Alex McNeely and David Pryor. So this service is like those memorial stones that were piled up in the Old Testament, a celebration of the grace and providence of God. This, the vows that will be said, the laying on of hands, all of these actions are meant to serve, especially for you men, as reminders Reminders that whatever lies ahead, we know that God was in this. And we know that he wills for us to be faithful, that his grace and that his glory may abound. 
So tonight, in a sense, is the culmination of years and years of study and preparation, or in the case of some, decades and decades and decades and decades of study and preparation. So our text is specifically addressed to a young pastor, but it has application to every spiritual leader, and in fact to every Christian, for what must be true, what must be true of leaders ought to be true of all of us. And in fact, the pastor here is being told to be an example to the flock so that the flock can follow his example. So this text, this word, applies to us all. Now, in verse 15 and 16, Paul says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed with these things. Pay close attention to these things. Persevere in these things. What things? Two things that everything in pastoral ministry rests on. Two things apart from which no other good thing will come. Two foundation stones which must have your devotion and your persistence and your prayer and which you must not neglect. Thing one, pay close attention to yourself. And thing two, pay close attention to your teaching. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, principle, practice, creed, conduct, doctrine, duty, by whatever words... Everything in your calling rests on these two great foundation stones. Build poorly, and great will be your fall. Build well, and great will be your call. So let's consider these briefly and in turn. First, pay close attention to yourself. Verse 12 gives us some clues about what this might look like. It starts with, don't let anyone look down on you or despise you for your youth. Martin Luther King Jr. was right to insist that no man should be judged by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. And so it is also true that no man ought to be judged by the age of his skin, but by the content of his character. You will give no grounds to being despised for your youth if you will make up for it, make up for what you lack in years through holy and godly living. That will give more weight and more authority to your ministry than than your years. Let it be said of you, he is mature beyond his years. But I would add also that you should not let anyone despise you for your age either. Give no grounds by resting on your laurels or by pulling rank or by saying, do what I say because I have gray hair. Some will see your youth, some will see your age as a weakness. Don't let anyone despise you for your weaknesses whether they be weaknesses of youth or age, and most of all, most of all, don't you despise your weaknesses. It is these that God will be pleased to use the most. Don't despise his humbling and the humbling that comes through them. Remember how God answered Paul's plea 
Lord, take this away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Now Paul lists here five godly characteristics, five areas in which we must watch ourselves closely, speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Briefly look at a couple of these, linger on a couple of them. But first he starts with speech, and this isn't about preaching here. This is about your mouth. Watch your mouth. Paul wrote elsewhere in Ephesians, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And again, there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting. Don't be like that uh, pastor out in our neighborhood who traded reverence for relevance and became known as the cussing pastor. Let your speech be God-honoring. Then your words will have authority. And while I'm on the subject of speaking, pastors tend to be men who are men of many words, and they can fill up many ears. And so I would remind you also of the fruit of listening before you speak. Don't always be the first to speak. Don't answer your own questions. Be comfortable with those pregnant pauses and silence. Set an example in knowing when to speak and when to be silent. Second, in conduct. This is about life, 24-7, 365. Not just on Sundays, not just when you're at church. It's an occupational hazard, I suppose, and occupational characteristics, but pastors never clock out. You're clocking in tonight, and you'll have to die to clock out. Always on, always a pastor. I'm just having remembrances of working in a factory during my college years and standing at that little machine and when it clicked 3.30 it was boom and then run to the parking lot, burn rubber to get out of there. I wasn't being paid for anything after 3.30. I was done. Show by your manner of life that you are worthy to be imitated. Live to be able to say with Paul, be imitators of me as of Christ. Now on this matter of conduct, there's this mention here about letting your progress be seen. Where will progress be seen more incrementally and more clearly? Where, where will progress be tested and tried more than in the crucible of the home and of the family? This is your first call, your first congregation, the first pulpit from which you will preach the first place that you will practice what you preach, your, your place of first godly discipline for yourself and for others. Don't fall into the trap of setting an example only in public or only at the church house, but start at home. Practice with your wife and your children and accept their correction as they hold up to you that mirror 
that reflects back to you your words and your actions. Learn the beautiful art of confession and repentance, of humbling yourself before them and showing the heart of a godly husband and a godly father. Let your wife and your children be the first to see your progress before anybody else does. Don't exasperate your wife and children by holding them to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Don't drive them away by a lack of godly conduct. But let your words and actions be like Christ, not demeaning, not belittling, not condescending, never tearing down. Wayne Grudem, in commenting on 1 Peter 3, another text, applies it this way. I thought it had application here. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way. You recognize the First Peter chapter 3 text there. Your life depends, your life as pastors depends on an effective prayer life. Without that, you're fill in the blank. What word would you put? A man who's unloving and unkind and demeaning and unchristlike can expect little divine assistance, can expect little illumination from the Holy Spirit in his study of the Scriptures, can expect little power and authority in the pulpit or in the elder room. Let no one look down on you or despise you, and least of all, your wife. Give her no grounds. Paul goes on, third, in love. The pastor shepherd must develop a deep, heartfelt love for his people. Paul reminds the Corinthians, we have opened wide our hearts to you. We have not withheld our affection from you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. Was there any church on this planet more loved than the church in Ephesus. For three years, Paul went house to house, day and night, with tears, admonishing and exhorting and, and calling to repentance and declaring what was most profitable. And when Paul left, there was sorrow and weeping and kissing on that dock before he set sail. God bless poor Timothy. Huge shoes to fill. Demonstrate your love by your presence. It was about 30 years ago that a wise young pastor said to me, a house-going pastor makes a church-going people. You remember saying that to me? Never forgotten it. <laughs> Set an example in love. Pay close attention to your affections. Fourth, in faith, Paul says, show your faith. Wear, wear your faith on your sleeve. 
grow in your faith, confess your unbelief, ask God to increase your faith, pray those prayers in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians that you might increase in knowledge and in wisdom and understanding and in discernment in your faith. And show your faith by being a non-anxious presence among your people, especially in crisis, especially in conflict, like even when you're best elder leaves you. Show your faith continually by entrusting yourself and your family and your ministry to God, even when life is hard, even when sin abounds, by faith. Fifth, in purity, speaking of Ephesus, Paul had urged Timothy to remain at Ephesus as their pastor, and this was a call that was just fraught with spiritual and moral dangers. It was in a time and a place of pagan and ritual sexual immorality. Timothy would be ministering in the shadow of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, that great temple of Artemis or Diana, the the mother goddess of all of Asia. And temptation to idolatry and temptation to sexual immorality would be as great and as ever-present then as it is now. An impure life will expose you to dishonor and contempt and cause others to despise you and to despise the ministry and the bride of Christ and bring shame on the gospel. Clearly, this is important because Paul highlights this point again in his second letter to Timothy when he says, flee from youthful lusts. Keep yourself pure. Don't surrender any ground to the enemy. Don't let him get a foothold. This is the front where Satan is claiming his greatest victories today. And I'm just aware that as you all are hearing this, it is a call to urgent prayer for all of those men who have huge targets painted on their chests. Two have fallen in our classes in just the past four years. Two pastors. I got an email on Tuesday of this week from the wife of a couple I married 10 years ago sharing with me the sad news of their divorce because of porn addiction. Ours is a high calling, but it is a perilous height from which to fall. Many, many temptations. As Tim mentioned, our youngest son, Zach, came with me here a couple of years ago as we were checking out Athanasius College. And since then, he is now a freshman at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis. And my wife and I were there a couple of weeks ago. And we heard an exchange between two uh, seminary, or maybe I guess it was about four seminary professors, and they were talking about this very issue. I didn't know this, but they have a policy in their seminary there not to admit any student who has looked at porn in the past year. They believe that there must be a year's worth of sustained victory in the battle before they begin training to lead others in the battle. Obviously, it's a high standard. It's important. 
Now, I know that you've been taught well here. You have been exhorted. You've been warned. You've seen, you've seen those fall around you. Heed God's word. Set an example in purity. Surround yourself with men who love you, who will hold you accountable, who will hold your arms up in battle and help you to do battle. And people pray. It's war. What does Peter say? Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Your sinful desires are out to kill you. They're out to destroy your family, out to destroy your marriage, out to destroy your ministry. In the well-known words of John Owen, be killing sin or it will be killing you. So in these five areas, practice what you plan to preach so that your preaching will have authority and power. Pay close attention to your mouth, to your hands, to your feet, to your heart, to your soul, to your conscience. Let's look at the second thing. Pay close attention to your teaching. Watch your doctrine. Again, I know you have been trained well. You have been taught well. I know many of these men, and I know this, the example they've set and what they have given you. But many have begun just as well as you and have made shipwreck of their faith. Evangelism is awash in older men who have not guarded the good deposit and are now bankrupt in their teaching and in their usefulness. So Paul urges us to pay close attention to our calling to teach and to preach. We see this in verses 13 and 14. He says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Give yourself over to the Word of God. Read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it. Be a man of the Word. Permit me to quote at length from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the Word of God. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our inmost parts. It is is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historical facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in spiritual language and your very style is fashioned upon the scripture models and what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. Still still quoting Spurgeon. I would quote John Bunyan as an instance of what I mean. Read anything of his and you will see that it is almost like reading the Bible itself. He had read it till his very soul was saturated with scripture, making us feel and say, why this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is blind. The very essence of the Bible flows in him. He cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God. I commend this example to you, beloved. 
So get off your computer, get off your smartphone, turn off the TV, take time for the Word of God. And I know someone's thinking, yeah, but I read it on my smartphone. I would say, no. Get a physical book with pages that you can mark, that you can underline, that you can write in, and that you can, you can say, uh, just a second, I, it's, it's right on, it's on the left side. Yeah, oh, it's right here at the top. There it is. You can't do that with a tablet. I am loath to give this one up. It, I know where everything is. Take and make every opportunity to, to preach and to teach the word so that you will be driven to study the word. In my flesh, I complain once in a while of the daunting task of having to prepare two sermons for every Sunday. We're a morning and evening church. But in my spirit, I know that there is no better task that I can give myself to and none that will bear more fruit. So I endeavor to persevere by God's grace. Fight your flesh. Fight, fight slothfulness. Fight putting other things ahead of reading and preaching and teaching. And notice the order. He says, read the word of God before you set out to teach and to preach. Donald Gray Barnhouse, well-known pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia once said, if I had only three years to serve the Lord, I'd spend two of them studying and preparing. And most of you are well aware of that great list of resolutions that Jonathan Edwards made when he was only 19. Resolution number 28 reads, resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently so that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. And from Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. And make that place where you prepare a study. Not an office, but a place devoting yourself to the Word. Not a place of busyness, not a place of business. Call it a study. I do this constantly to remind myself of what the most important work is that takes place there. Let the symbol of your work be your Bible, not your smartphone, not tablet, not computer. Make that the priority, for it is the priority of the pastor to be devoted to Word and to prayer. And notice Paul warns here that this divine gifting of the Holy Spirit can be neglected. It can be neglected. Don't despise your gift by neglecting it. And remember the warning of Jesus. You are in error because you don't know the Scriptures. Pay attention to Scripture by which you will then guard your teaching. Take pains with these things, he says in verse 15. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Apply yourself. Give close attention. Let there be no room for slothfulness or laziness or casualness in this. 
I love the great old preacher Alexander White, for 47 years pastor at Free St. George's Church in Edinburgh. Our men in our church have heard me say a thousand times one of my favorite quotes from him. Having to, when, I, when I want to speak of anything having to do with battle, warfare, just endeavoring, keeping going, and especially in the whole realm of purity. But I say to the men all the time, as Alexander White once said, it's a sort of fight to the end, laddie. It's a sort of fight to the end, S-O-R-E. I tell that to my sons. It's a fight to the end. But I bring him up for these rather stern words on this subject before us this evening. I would have all lazy students drummed out of the college and all lazy pastors out of the assembly. I would have laziness held to be the impardonable sin for all students and for all ministers. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. That last verse, that 16th verse, is enough to make any person, any man, any pastor pause and reconsider just what is it that I've gotten myself into. Do you really want to embark on a task where lives are at stake. Where the eternal destiny of souls rests in the balance. Where what you do and how you do it will have serious consequences. No wonder James warned, warned let not many of you become teachers, my brother, knowing, knowing that as, as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And I heard quoted at this conference this week, Paul's words in Acts 20, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his blood. Every Sunday, souls at stake, depending on your faithful attention to your personal holiness and to your sound preaching. On this verse, Calvin cautions, let men who seek glory feed on their own ambition and congratulate themselves on their own cleverness. But you, content yourself with being exclusively devoted to the salvation of yourself and your people. Pay attention to your life and your teaching, for it is God's means, God's instrument for salvation. Not talents, not gifts, not education or experience, but integrity of life and faithfulness to the truth. In fact, talents, gifts, experience, education, administrative excellence, skill in the pulpit, all of those are actually dangerous. Dangerous without holiness in character and devotion to God's truth. The way of salvation for your souls and the souls of your hearers is along this path of right living and right preaching, the right preaching of the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. Just as unholy living and unfaithful teaching is deadly to the church, 
So holy living and faithful teaching is life-giving. Yes, God is the author and finisher of all faith and salvation, but that in no way removes the, the instruments that he is pleased to use. So start now. Start well, so that you may say with the psalmist in Psalm 71, O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation and your power to those to come. Set an example. Devote yourself. Don't neglect this, but practice these things. Keep close watch and persist in this for salvation is at stake. Eternity is in the balance. And who is sufficient for these things? So Paul answers in 2 Corinthians 3. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of the new covenant. All of this is enough to make one faint and, and to despair. But we have only and always to look to Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, apart from whom there is no good in us and apart from whom we can do no good. Look always to your great example, the great chief shepherd. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, to the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Pray with me, please. Holy Father, for the sake of your glory and for the sake of Christ's gospel, would you grant to these men and all who proclaim your word stamina and endurance and resilience and faithfulness to live holy and to labor hard over your word that they might speak your truth by example and by speech with the conviction and power of your Holy Spirit. Grant your grace that they would so endeavor to persevere as to see the salvation of their souls and the souls of many because of the blood of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus make this so. Amen and amen. amen.